You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Opening weekend in Major League Baseball. Don't get excited or sad over just one game. Remember, it's 162. I'm just pumped that baseball is back, my friend. Uh, it's such a welcome relief to have it to have it here and not just be sitting there worrying about what the general manager did or didn't do. And it's it's on the field now, right? Hope springs eternal at the start of the season. Right. At, the, at this point, it is what it is. The only thing you can really focus on is what will they do to improve anything that needs to be improved as the season goes on and how will this team perform? And, and like I said before, they need to get off to a hot start. It would lead to whatever happens at the end of the year. I think they're 500 halfway through the year. Uh, they're they're in trouble. I think they got to get out early. They they got to get going. And opening day uh, for for the home team when they finally have their home opener coming up on Monday. Cork and Carry at the park, the official sponsor of Socks in the Basement, uh, is going to be having a big party beforehand. I want to say the thing kicks off at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, game time isn't even until three. I'm taking Ed with the season tickets, so we're going to be there. We're going to be there beforehand, hanging out uh, at the official home of Socks in the Basement. They've got great ballpark food. They've got uh, an incredible menu of beers and wines and spirits. You can bring the family over. Hopefully, it's a beautiful day, and we've got some outdoor seating to go along with the indoor seating might just spill out I've seen it before when you get a crowd and that thing gets out into the street I don't know if it's going to be that way post game could very well be that way get over there afterwards they're in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton and and all this positivity and all this excitement and Mike Huff who now goes more by Michael Huff he told me this was we were getting ready to do the interview he's on the show today Remember, he played for the White Sox in the early 90s. He was part of that 93 team, and uh, his uh, and, and now he, he goes by the longer name. It's more distinguished, I think, because he's older and he's in charge of like uh, youth baseball for the Chicago White Sox. Some interesting stuff that he's going to say on the show today about working with Michael Jordan, what it's like when you get a manager like Pedro Grifol in there, and and how a team can, can flip very quickly from one season to a next with new new management and also what it's like to be a bench player with a guy who has a pretty set lineup like we're hearing Pedro's going to have how do you stay ready should that have an impact at all on a bench guy from a bench guy yeah and and just like the White Sox would always have happen they're walking into the season with you know not only baseball experts like Jim Bowden saying that they're the most talented team in the AL Central but Cleveland's got a better team that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard Let's figure a, that one out. Just, folks. This is stupid but, talk. But you know, also it, it, we we should be we should be hearing more about stuff like that from from a guy like Michael Hoff sitting here saying, "I've been there, I've done it, I've seen what a managerial change can do. This is why you should get excited about the White Sox." Instead, what's everybody talking about? Hawks going on AJ Prasinski's <laughs> podcast and saying, "I was fired," and Jerry should sell the team. I know. First of all, everybody's got a podcast now. Remember five years ago? There weren't very many. Everybody's got a podcast now. I feel yeah, like five I, years ago, I didn't even have a podcast. I had to wait for, for you to open up a chair for me. I've got 10 of them on the network right now on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network, and I feel like I don't have enough. Everybody's got one. My kids are going to have one soon, for crying out loud. So AJ's got one that he's doing. It looks like it's mostly video. And and he brings on Hawk. And that you normally see that whenever there's a new podcast, right? 
you you get to get some people that are friends. You call your friends, you call your right. neighbors, you call your brothers, you call your sisters. Right. Who do you have a connection yeah. with that you can bring in right away as you're trying to get the thing off the ground? And you kind of hope that somebody says something on it that gets a little bit of buzz so you get new subscribers. Well, Hawk Harrelson helped him out a ton because Hawk goes on and says, I got fired from the White Sox. And he's I, got, wasn't, I didn't retire. I was retired. Right. And Jerry Reinsdorf was changed by Brooks Boyer. I thought that was the weirdest thing that he basically was saying. Like, yeah, that he was really odd. doesn't like Brooks over there. He, he's he's really angry that he he didn't get the pick when he walked off of the team. And you could you could see AJ, you can hear him trying to say, well, it ends for everybody, right? Because every baseball player wants to play forever, right? I mean, I want to st- I want to keep doing morning rock radio forever, single, and and having the fun that that entails. Eventually, stages of your life end. The fact that Hawk Harrelson lasted so long is incredible because let's be honest, he wasn't I'm going to say this, and some people are going to say, what are you talking about, Chris? For somebody who lived all over the country and watched a lot of broadcasters do games, he wasn't the greatest. He was great for Chicago, and he was a true homer. And all the phrases and the nicknames and all that stuff, that was awesome if you were a White Sox fan growing up with him. And I was was a teenager in his best years when he was on the microphone, and I was a little kid when he was the general manager of the team. And Jerry Reinsdorf did so much to keep this guy in the organization and gave him so much latitude for him to turn on the owner. And I complain about the owner all the time, but I was shocked by that. Yeah, that was the thing that, that caught me off guard was like just how angry he is and the fact that he's got this level of vitriol towards Jerry now that, you know, that after after decades together and, and becoming, I mean, really, if you think about Hawk Harrelson as a celebrity, right, he was a baseball player for a little bit. He was a golfer for a little bit. He was probably a guy that, if he's not broadcasting White Sox games, is one of those, he was a colorful figure in baseball in the 60s. Right. If, if Instagram existed, he'd be an Instagram personality. Right. Right? He's like one of those guys that's got something going on, but it could be anything. In an era before, you could actually put that out. And he was given so much uh, ability to continue to live that lifestyle and do those things and benefit from it by the White Sox. And by letting having the White Sox put this guy out front in front of their organization and sit there and go, look, be yourself and be, you know, be a homer, be a guy who yells at umpires from from the the broadcast booth, give guys weird nicknames and, and have these colorful little colloquialisms and sayings and stuff like that. And, and let's, you know, let's let's really wrap our identity around what Hawk's doing in the booth and cater to who he wants next to him and, and all that stuff. And he is you know what Ford Frick winner he is he's he's all these things because of the White Sox organization giving him the opportunity and not saying he didn't deserve it or he didn't earn it or that those things weren't real about him he really is inextricably linked with the Sox it's just one of those things like yeah he wanted to there was a documentary in MLB network where he says he wanted to be calling a game and you can put it on the board and then die of a heart attack right in the middle of the 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 home run call uh, that's how Hawk wanted to go out, and that's how he envisioned it. But to AJ's point, and to your point, and everybody else's point, at some point you sit there and go, "Yeah, but when you're not talking for three innings because of a missed third strike call, yeah, it's you know? time. It was time for him to go. That's the thing. Like they did everything they could to ease him out and ease in their next pick to be the play-by-play guy, and they they got a professional play-by-play guy, whether you like Bonetti or not, uh, nationwide." 
he he's he's already gotten a reputation very quickly of being very good at his job. He's a different he's a different level. He's a different style. He may not be your style, but they they did everything they could. And you know what? Hawk just comes across as a bitter old man. He really does. He just sounds like a bitter old man. Like I agree with sell the team Jerry, but for the reasons he's doing it, he sounds like a bitter old man when he gets angry with them. He got every opportunity to stick with that team as long as he could. And then it was time to move on, just like it is for anybody. That's like a, that's like if Tony Larusa comes out next week and he goes, "I got fired. I could have come back and man, you'd all, you'd, everybody would be sitting there going, "Yeah, but you were terrible at it." And and, and yes, you did get fired. Yes, you, right. You know. You're a really great manager who was in the Hall of Fame, but you got to a point in life where you couldn't perform at the same level. The same thing applies to Hawk Harrelson. It really does. You can appreciate Hawk Harrelson and all the things that you loved about him and the things that he did and still understand that he's a little out. Of, hey, he's probably more than a little out of line complaining about why he's still not up in the broadcast booth. It's kind of silly. And here's the funny thing. Just to pivot from it for a moment before we get to Mike Huff. It reminds me of another thing that's going on in the broadcast booth that I think skipped by everybody. I want to know if you noticed it. Benetti does an interview with the Sun-Times. And I want to say it was a Sun-Times. And he does an interview about like how he feels and this and that. And, and, and wherever it was at, I could be wrong about where it was. But I'm, I'm reading this article. And they're going through, like, are you unhappy about your contract negotiation? I've already talked about that. Like, who cares? Everybody has to negotiate a contract. But there was one line in there that if you, if you notice it in the article, I don't like being told what to say. And I was like, I mean, that, that was the line. That was a direct quote. I don't like being told what to say. You know, we sit here on the show and, and people might think we wear tinfoil hats that the the network over there, that NBC Sports and that the Jerry Reinsdorf machine that owns 50 percent of it and, and all this stuff like that. There's some sort of state media control. That line was it should have been in bold with like fireworks around it. So nobody missed it, because if there's any tension between the team right now, it's that Hawk Harrelson got away with saying things. He would say things, but he, and, and he would get away with it. But on the other hand, if he was never critical, there were certain things that he did. There was an understanding between him and the front office and the owner. So that's why it's shocking to me how upset he is here at the end, right? Like at the, at the very end, when it's all over, he was, he wanted, AJ Brzezinski is trying to change the subject. He's trying to move past it. And Hawk is just like, just like bulldozing through. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm angry. I was fired. Sell the team. Like he's, he, he came on ready to talk about it. And if AJ wouldn't have asked him a question about it, he was going to find a way to talk about it. That's all he wanted to do that day. It's like when Don Cooper was let go finally after however many decades of being the White Sox pitching coach and the right. first interview he gives he just hates everybody and wants everybody to know that he was screwed out of a job. You know how many people like, that I know? who have reached out to him and said, hey, I have a friend who does this podcast and it's really popular and uh, all these people come on it and would you love to come on and talk? And he's always like, I will never talk about that team again. Isn't it weird that like if you're in the organization, man, you are in it, right? The the team can do no wrong. Nothing can be wrong. And then when these people leave, they're just angry. It's crazy to me how that works, right? Right. This team is, that's why, that's why you probably have 47 White Sox podcasts out there. There's so much to cover. (laughs) It's incredible. Mike Huff is next. This is Sox in the Basement. (laughs) 
Spring has sprung, baseball has started, and it may be time to replace an exterior window or door, patio doors, storm doors. All of that is available at Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. No high-pressure sales. They're not in your kitchen, your living room, feet on your couch, you know, petting your dog, trying to tell you that they can give you this great deal, but you got to sign on the dotted line like right now. None of that. No. Instead, you walk into Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. You see everything on display. No looking inside of a book, a catalog, a magazine. No pictures of it. No tiny little examples. Everything's there for you to view. The owners are in the showroom and they're on site. They don't farm out the work. These are their employees. They are with it from the beginning to the end. They've been doing it that way for 40 years in Oak Forest since 1985. All major brands will be custom made. No stock items. Perfect fit. Stop in there and see them. Half block east of 159th and Ridgeland, 6280, 159th Street, window door, oakforest.com. On the phone line with me right now, I just saw this. This is the second time he's been on the show. I didn't realize it until he he called me up and we were getting ready to do the interview. Michael Huff played for the Chicago White Sox in 91-92, the division-winning season in 93. His best season ever was a strike short in the season, statistically, which must stick in his craw when he went 304 with an 842 OPS for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he's probably sitting there right now going, I did? Or he knows that stat by heart. He is also right now the director of youth baseball for the Chicago White Sox, and he joins us on the line. How are you, Michael? I am good, Chris. Thank you for having me. And it's, uh, again, way too long uh, getting back on the show, but I'm very excited being a Chicagoan, being able to talk about baseball and, and White Sox specifically. So, and thank you for uh, reminding me. Uh, I do not have those numbers memorized, but I do know that uh, that best year was '94, the strike season, and uh, the reward for hitting over 300 was that I didn't have to battle for a job. I got a straight contract, but I was still relegated to being a part-time player, not not a full-time player. So. Um, but it was very fun, the 91, 2, and 3 years with the White Sox, obviously culminating in, in 93's division playoff. And, and uh, my, my real reward for that was being asked by ownership, uh, the chairman himself, to, to help coach someone how to catch and throw a baseball. And I remember talking to Ron Schuler at the time and, and Jerry kind of saying, uh, isn't that my job? Like, <laughs> aren't I the, the backup outfielder for everybody? can you tell me who this person is? And they're like, no, but, but will you promise to come down to the ballpark and work out? And I'm like, well, you know, I live on the North side and Joe Girardi and I went to Northwestern. We both live up there. We work out at Northwestern. You went to Northwestern, got your law degree. Can you tell me who this is? And they're like, no, but you'll find out, but can you come down? And I'm like, of course, team player, happy to help anybody. And that was that guy that wanted to really good basketball player, Michael Jordan. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like that guy, I can teach how to catch and throw a baseball. And I remember asking you instructed Michael Jordan when he was, that was, oh, the, yeah. they asked you to work with Michael when he was making that transition and trying to play for, for the White Sox. Oh yeah. He even said, do you want me to work with him hitting? They're like, no, 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 no. You're not that good a hitter, but defense, you're really, really good. So <laughs> teach him how to catch and throw. So yeah, if you go back and pull up the old, uh, Last Dance, Episode 7, uh, you will see Mike Huff in the background in three or four scenes, kind of teaching Michael how to catch and throw a baseball. That's amazing. You know, everybody always mentions that he was such a, a good athlete, such a gifted athlete, 
he didn't he didn't have a problem learning things. He was you know he he's always he was like a student. What was what was it like working with him? Well, to exactly that. He really was not very good. Um, but he, well, you know, and it took me over two weeks to stop calling him Mr. Jordan. <laughs> but he was so dedicated to the craft that by the time we broke for spring training in just those two months, he had gotten markedly better. And when we got outside and really were seeing fly balls before spring training really started, and then in spring training, um, you could see, I mean, it was literally someone that was that gifted. There were, there were improvements that were happening almost daily that for, you know, the teenager or the kid in college, it happens over months and sometimes years. And so where he was beginning to catch up um, to that level of, of skill, minor leagues, uh, for him hoping to get to the majors, his big problem was he was, you know, at that point over 30. And his body just, you know, was such a basketball body, not a baseball body. It was just, he was chasing, you know, time as well as just skill. And, you know, for all of us in Chicago that loved him on the hard court um, with that strike happening in 94, it obviously pushed him going back into basketball, which for all of the Chicagoans, you know, pretty, uh, pretty happy that he did that. Yeah, I think he made the right choice there. He got to do a little yeah. bit of uh, spring <laughs> training and some exhibition games and kind of scratch that itch yep. and then get back to what he was great at. Uh, before we get into what you're doing with the White Sox, especially this summer, I know you got some camps coming up. They just worked out their roster. You've got a, a new manager who has basically said, I'm going to be sticking with a set lineup and my starters are going to play. And it's not going to be as much uh, moving guys in and out and moving around the field. So the few guys they have on the bench may not get as much playing time as you've seen over the last couple of years with the previous manager. How, how, did, you, how did you make yourself ready for when the call came as somebody that wasn't an everyday player for most of your career? It was simulated games. Um, every time we would go on a road trip for three days, call it Baltimore, three days, Boston. One of those three days in each of those cities, myself, Warren Newsom, Craig Grayback, um, Matty Marillo, or, or Karkovice when he was still backing up Pudge a little bit, we were out one of those three days at 1.30, like playing a game, like having true pitchers throwing to us, having coaches putting us into hitting game positions, guy on second base, two outs, got to drive him in, you know, leading off the fifth inning, nobody on, you know, try to get a double, you know, try to hit something hard in the gap so you can get there with one out. Um, so we were constantly put into game type situations, usually once every three days when we were on the road. And yeah, I would say once a homestand when we were at home. Pedro sounds like the kind of manager that's going to be making sure that he's got his guys ready because all he does is talk about prep. And I'm sure that that's very important to a player. Oh, yeah. Well, and getting into that routine. Like Even for a part-time player, I knew when my time was in the cage with Walt Treniak flipping a ball. I knew when I was going to be out there shagging fly balls um, from Joe Nosek and, and working on footwork, working on gaps. Every you know, first day of every series on the road, you know, Joe had all of us outfielders, me in particular, because I played all three, working with Tim Raines in left, working with Dan Passware, Ellis Burks in right, working with Lance Johnson in center, just as Joe would hit balls, you know, standing behind third base, a big screen, and hitting a line drive right down the line. How does it bounce off the fence? How does it go slow or does it come out hard? You know, taking us to the warning tracks. Is this a warning track that's 
three steps at top speed or a step and a half at top speed. And so we were really kind of fine-tuning our game defensively. And I think you're right. I think with Pedro, there's going to be a lot more. Let's get back to the basics and check all those types of boxes. And not just for the everyday player, but for that part-time player, you know, they'll know in advance. Like with me, with, you know, Terry Bevington, with Gene Lamont, with Jeff Torborg, there was a lot of, you know what, Randy Johnson's coming up. We're going to give Tim Raines a day off. And I'm like, thanks. I get Randy Johnson. (laughs) Appreciate that. You know, (laughs) we're going to California. Langston, you're going to have to face Langston. We're going to give, you know, Lance a day off. So it was... I, they were very good at communicating, and, and that's the sense I get from Pedro, very good at communicating, making sure that those part-time players understand this is kind of a once-a-week type role, not two or three times a week type role that Tony was doing, and that once a week you're going to know well in advance. Now, if someone gets a tight hamstring, if someone has a sore back, you know, be ready to go, but for the most part, you're going to know you will be starting against these types of players and pitchers. Michael Huff. Joining us here on Sacks in the Basement, bringing stuff that I did not expect. We got more next. Sacks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Michael Huff, once a player, still with the White Sox organization, still with us here on Sox in the Basement. Tell me a little bit about these youth camps. I I see some of them nearby where I'm at. I'm in Mount Greenwood, uh, Evergreen, Oak Lawn area. I see see one in Oak Lawn on June 19th for a few days. There's one in July in Oak Lawn at uh, Ernie Cole Fields. Uh, Mount Greenwood's got one on June 26th through the 29th over in Mount Greenwood Park. Kids come out and they work with with you, I would imagine, a coaching staff, any chance a player ever stops by? Tell me what these camps entail. Well, it's a four-day camp, uh, three hours morning or three hours afternoon. We go through the whole Metroplex and Northwest Indiana, which is really kind of cool. Um, myself overseeing the youth baseball department, like you talked about earlier, it's neat that I will float and get to as many camps as I humanly possibly can. The neat part is that one of my teammates, Dan Pasqua, um, the guy who still looks like he can hit a baseball 500 feet. He lives down in the south suburbs, so he is usually floating and hitting one or two of the camps as well. So every kid at every camp is going to get some major leaguer that's there that will be able to say, hey, this drill, I remember Frank Thomas doing this drill. Hey, this ground ball drill, yeah, when I was there, Ozzie Gian, Gold Glover was doing this drill. You know, And really showing these kids that the stuff that they're doing is the same stuff we do in spring training. So you're going to get four days. First two days are really heavy instruction, and then day three and four, it's a little less instruction and a lot of game playing where you're putting the kids into game-type situations. And um, a lot of fun. We give tickets away to a Sox game. 
you're going to get a hat, a T-shirt, a whole bunch of swag from the White Sox. And, and just like I said, you're going to get sort of a major league experience with Dan Passware and myself hitting one of the camps for sure. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I think that that's cool that you do the instruction early on and then you let the kids play a little bit because mm-hmm. in the end, yeah. that's what they want to do. Anytime I ever went yes. to a camp when I was a kid or went and did anything, I would sit there and say, okay, this is great. When, when are we going to play a game? Because that's what that's what kids want to do. And I, and I and the other thing is, I, I think that this generation, probably the generation that's grown up and is in their 20s right now, uh, so it's been a few of them now, don't do what I used to do when I was a kid. You know, I was a kid that grew up and uh, was born in the 70s and in the 80s, I'd be walking around with a ball, a bat, and a glove oh, yeah. and gathering kids in the neighborhood. Some I knew, some were a friend of a friend, and we'd be up at a park somewhere in Chicago playing pickup baseball and you don't see that that often so these camps kind of take the place of it and it's important that they get out and play right yeah exactly right again riding the bike to the friends homes as long as you had more than six you were playing half field games or wall ball if it was just four of you but no we try to go back to the basics that literally the white Sox are teaching the minors and majors The, the, the coaches that i have working with us over the summer all these guys have played baseball through high school, college, some played in the minor leagues. This is a great second job for some of these folks that are gym teachers or whatever, but you're not going to have a 15-year-old kid instructing your 12-year-old child. You're going to have grown-ups, guys that are playing currently in college or the minors, independent ball, as well as adults that are going to be working with these kids. And we always have a couple training sessions before the camps begin to really kind of go through their curriculum of, you know what, this is what the White Sox are doing. Now, granted, when I talk to those White Sox coaches, some of them played with or against, they joke and say, hey, we're teaching a lot more neck up in the major leagues and you're teaching a lot more neck down. But again, here's the buzzwords, the phrases that we're using to try to get our guys in a position to have more success hitting or fielding. So make sure that you're using these phrases and buzzwords for the kids that you're with. All right, so what I can see here, you go to whitesocks.com slash play if you want to learn about camps that are in your area. I think it's cool that you go out to individual areas and you're not just saying come to a White Sox training center. I think that's that's really neat to get them in a place nearby where they live, where they play, where their friends are going to be. I think that's awesome. Do you ever sneak up into the kid zone when they're doing the little drills up oh, there? Oh, gosh, yeah. You do? Well, I, that's another thing that I oversee. So I oversee four different things for the White Sox. The youth baseball, the summer camps was one of them. But I do oversee the kid zone. And we actually just had our meeting with the coaches for the kid zone to remind them, here's how we're teaching fielding a ground ball. Here's how we're teaching getting into a batter's box and, and hitting off a tee or hitting off a pitching machine. So, again, you're going to have very little time with these kids, but to make the experience as best as possible, use these buzzwords, kick, hit on these key, you know, teaching moments, and then just let the kids go have fun. So, yeah, I, I do float up there, but I do that partly because it's my job. Um, but I, I do love going up there when uh, it's it's a fun day and just kind of smiling, you know, waving, making sure things are going well. And then usually the coaches pull me over when there's, a kid or a group of kids that are actually very attentive to what they're being taught. And then they say, Hey, you know, who this is besides being my boss, this is a former white Sox player. And they all look up and I'm like, yeah, what he's teaching is the same thing. I remember them talking to Robin Ventura about or Frank Thomas or Carlton Fist. So make sure your toes are pointed straight when you step into the batter's box. So it's, it is fun. All right. So before I let you go, I got to ask you, 
what do you think they're going to do this year? What, what, what are, the, are, are the Sox uh, division champs? I think they are. I think that this is a season they should go out and they should win it and have a puncher's chance in the postseason. But you know baseball more than me. So what do you think about this team? In some ways, people don't put enough emphasis on the coaching staff or what the vibe in a clubhouse is like. I will tell you, when I was with the White Sox, 91, 2, and 3, hungry, young, 92, a lot of injuries. But it was a totally different vibe than I was when I was with Cleveland or even the Dodgers. When I got traded to Toronto, 94, there was a vibe to push and with a strike and a bunch of the players leaving, 95 and 6, regardless, it was just a different vibe. And I think Pedro, from everyone I've talked to at spring training, makes it sound like that vibe is back the way it was a couple of years ago. And I also think, you know, if they don't win it, they're going to be neck and neck throughout the course of the season. And I wouldn't be surprised, A, if they win it. And this year, take that next step and win a series or two. And like you said, you just have to get there. Once you get there, then the chips fall. Let the chips fall where they may. But I would agree with you. I kind of, I'm leaning more toward the division champ again this year than I was last year. Michael Huff, second time on Sox in the Basement, Director of Youth Baseball <laughs> for the Chicago White Sox. Remember, you go to whitesox.com slash play to learn about those camps, and I appreciate you jumping on the show, and uh, maybe we'll see you out at the ballpark this year. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Chris. Michael Huff and every guest here on Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore, and see all they have to offer this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. My brother-in-law sent me a text this morning saying, look at this article on MLB.com. If that happens for the White Sox, that would be insane. And it was 30 bold predictions for 30 teams in Major League Baseball. And essentially, the beat writer for MLB.com is making the prediction. So Scott Merkin's making the prediction for the White Sox. And I wrote back to him, like, when they say dark horse, Scott goes really dark horse. When they say bold, he goes really bold. He's explained that on the show before. Like, he really he really goes, well, you want a bold one? Here's a bold one, big guy. And he throws something out there crazy. He has Tim Anderson winning the MVP. Yeah, that's, that's bold. He's not even the highest-ranked White Sox player in the Vegas betting for MVP at this point. I think that's Luis Robert because of the potential of Robert, even though he hasn't been 100% at the top of his game coming out of spring training. Although I've seen some life here in the last few, in the last few days of it, I felt like there might be some changes there, but he's got he's got a little bit more to go to get the motor up to be at that level. But he's even behind him. So and I and you know, he won a batting title and didn't come close to it. So I don't know what else Tim Anderson could do to be able to beat out a Shohei Otani, who many believe is the greatest baseball player to ever walk the face of the earth, and and always Mike Trout and whoever else is going to pop up. So that's a bold one. Give me your bold prediction for 2023. All right, my bold prediction is that Sebi Zavala will finish the year as a top 10 catcher in fantasy baseball. So that means Grandal's injured or replaced? That means that Sebi just outplays Grandal and slowly takes over the job. Really? That's crazy bold. And it's frightening yeah. to me because for that to happen, Yasmani has to play bad for a while, which would affect the team. That would mean bad things for the White Sox before it became something good. And the, the manager would have to make a decision that may not be 
the easy decision to do that. But that man, that's that would be an interesting one. And I, and I think Pedro's the kind of manager that will do that. I think he will just continue to ride the hot hand, and it's going to lead to Sebi being considered to be one of the, the better offensive catchers in the game. See, I still think I still think Rondell is going to have uh, he's going to have a bounce back year. This is the last good year of it, but I think he's going to have a bounce back year. But you're you're right. I mean, he's one he's one backache away from all of a sudden being ineffective and then the manager having to make a decision. And, and you're right about the fact that I think that Pedro's the kind of guy that's going to say, I don't care what you make and I don't care how long you've been in the league. This guy's better than you right now. If you want it, if you want the job back, earn it. I, I, earn it I, back, yeah. I at least get that impression from him this year. I think that's how it's going to get run because this is, this is really the biggest window year. You may have some changes happening to this team next year with, with contracts and free agency and over the next couple of years. So I would imagine the front office is going to say, you run the team and we don't really care what they're getting paid, play the best players. And I think the whole thing with who's on the bench shows that that is a possibility, at least, that that's going to be the way that they think. My bold prediction is Aloya Menez hits 40 home runs. I, I, I mean, Some people are going to say, well, that's not that bold. But I, I think that when you take into account that he doesn't play a full season normally, and he deals with injury all the time. I think it is bold. So you're, you're qualifying it. He's going to get hit 40 home runs and only play like 120 games. Well, here's the thing. Not only is he going to hit 40 home runs, MVP. Okay. I think he goes out and he hits 40 home runs. I think he has 120 RBI. I think he hits no, close to like 300. I think he's just like this beast in the middle of the lineup. He starts in the all-star game. Like I, and, and the debate is, does he play enough of the field because he's used as a DH as much as he's he's used when they're when they're having the debate over the the MVP thing. Like I I really think this is Aloy Jimenez's year. It it should be Luis Roberts too, and it should be the bounce back from Ancada. It should be the 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 you know Grandal staying healthy. There's so many things. Lucas Giolito, you know, coming up against uh, you know the contract year and the ability to go maybe, into free maybe agency. Dylan Cease making the the rise to All the actual Cy Young winner. All of this stuff is potential, right? All of it. The thing I believe in the most is if Eloy Jimenez stays healthy, he is going to be an absolute monster this year for the White Sox. I, If I have to pick one guy I believe in the most, it's him because I think the manager is going to try to keep him healthy. I think he's determined to stay healthy, and this is his year to explode. You want to hear one that's not so bold but I think is now a pipe dream that, that I think can come true? What is it? Liam Hendricks. Closes out game starting in the oh second half goodness. of the year. Oh my goodness, wasn't that great news? Liam's back soon, I think. Not even on the 60-day IL. That That's incredible, and uh, what a boost for the team it's going to be. Uh, enjoy opening weekend. If you're listening after opening weekend is over, enjoy, enjoy the next game that's coming up, because for crying out loud, there's 162. Don't get too high, don't get too low, and uh, keep it here with Socks in the Basement. 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 Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.